Dylan to chair. It's Sunday night. This is the drop zone and gosh, what a ridiculous weekend in golf. Like a lot of funny stuff, a lot of heartbreaking stuff. Oh, I was incredibly nervous. I've gotten so bad at watching golf on television when it's like a really big moment, like a major and someone's blowing the lead on the back nine. And we just know that Either they bail themselves out and we're all okay, or they choke and die and we all feel bad about it. And I feel like that happened today. <laughs> it all happened at once. That was the crazy thing about this weekend. It all wrapped up like right at the same time. I mean, luckily we got a couple of playoffs and, and the, uh, the U.S. Women's Open went a little bit longer. So we got a little bit of bonus golf. But I mean, it was hard to keep track of. Like the, the craziness in each tournament was really happening in parallel so i don't even know where do you want uh, us let's, to begin let's Sean? begin with the women's open and mainly because i love there this happens only a couple times a year which hopefully it can happen more but i love weeks in which the women's golf takes a a glaringly obvious precedent over mm-hmm. the men's golf like i didn't i didn't watch more than 10 shots at the memorial of the memorial i was so locked in and this is not some you know chest thumping thing about me it's just like gosh the other tournament felt a lot more important so the women's open was the main focus Mm -hmm. for us this week and it was so much fun and you know i loved being able to focus on it and then holy cow (laughs) the most ridiculous thing happened on the pga tour so we'll get to that later let's let's talk about the the women's (laughs) open um yuka sasso wins in the playoff a lot has to do with her winning in the playoff, but also a lot has to do with Lexi Thompson blowing a five-shot lead on the back nine. Uh, so she wins a playoff, a uh, three-hole playoff over Nasa Hataoka, I think. Hatauka? Hatauka? Yeah. Uh, these were the two best players on the back nine, and they both eked out one-shot leads over the worst player on the back nine, who is Lexi Thompson. Uh, let's start with Sasso. First career LPGA Tour win. First major winner ever, men or uh, or woman, from the Philippines. Uh, I believe that she's going to jump into the world top 10, I think to number eight. Uh, she's She was 40th entering mm-hmm. the week. I think she's jumping into number eight now. Um, she can barely make a swing without people comparing her to Rory McIlroy and uh, the conflicted answer about that is that the Rory comps are very real. I mean, I was kind of screaming about it last winter during the 2020 U.S. O- Women's Open because her swing is so darn identical. She literally has studied it on YouTube. She watches it a lot. She watches the swing a lot. And uh, she wins her first major at 19. Rory won his first major at 21. The comps are not going away. She seems like a modern frighteningly good female golfer and i'm i'm excited to watch her future it's funny she has definitely leaned into the entire idea i mean there's a way in which you know this would be strange to to just constantly be comparing her to rory but right after she won she went right to the well with that one she said how excited she was that rory had shouted her out on instagram which i guess is you know partly a sign of or partly a reminder that Oh yeah, we're talking about all that a, matters is Instagram. A nineteen-year-old here. This is this is a a young person. 
Um, but I mean, her genuine excitement was so cool. There were a bunch of gutty shots that she hit today. I mean, very obviously she started with, she started par double, double. I mean, (laughs) if you start par double, double on Sunday at a major championship, you are essentially never going to win. That's just not how it works, but never, this is the U S open crazy things happen. She finished with just one bogey in her last 15 holes. She birdied 16 and 17. And Mm -hmm. just when Lexi Thompson was going in the opposite direction, I mean, she picked up what? She must have picked up eight shots on Lexi in the last, like, 14 holes. So it was crazy just the dynamics of that final group and how they completely flipped at the end of the day. Totally. And it was quiet. (laughs) It happened quietly. She was two under through... Uh, 69 holes of the championship. And at that point, I believe Lexi at that point was, yeah, Lexi was at six under. Mm-hmm. So, or no, she was at five under, excuse me. And so she was three clear of Sasso. And I remember thinking like, look, everyone's kind of freaking out about Hatoka and Shan uh, Shan Fang. And everyone was freaking out because they were at three under and they were closer to posting a score. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, Look, they're they're obviously a hole ahead and, and one shot better than Sasso was. But Sasso's playing in the final group. She's playing right next to Lexi. She's she's one that can put pressure on Lexi from in that final pairing, like her final grouping. Man, why are we not thinking about Sasso? And then I guess she did what not a lot of people could do and birdie both those par fives. That's why this was so much fun. You know, early on in the day, I pretty much watched the entire broadcast today uh they had webb simpson come on a guy who won at olympic uh when he won the u.s open i think in 20 gosh 2012 maybe 2012 yeah uh so he he came on and he said you know this this par five par five par four finish is really really fun uh, for both the men and the women, like the way it was set up is to make that par five 16th really just be a great par and to make that par five 17th be, yeah, you, you probably could make birdie here. It's definitely reachable in two you hit the fairway and you should be able to get up near the green. She played that how you're supposed to play that. If you want to win this event, Lexi Thompson did the exact opposite. <laughs> so yeah, like you said, it flipped within the, the final grouping, but even then Sasso was not exactly in the greatest positions during the playoff. You know, she she actually blew it into uh, into the rough on the last hole, on the ninth hole. The second time they were playing it, she hit from the rough and she curled it up there, bounded into the front edge of the green and curled it up to whatever it was, 10, 12 feet. Like, that's kind of how her tournament was decided. Hitting the ball kind of all over the place. Not all over the place, but not necessarily hitting fairways. And just being a great player from the rough, a lot of speed, kind of like Bryson won at Wingfoot. Yeah, it's funny. You don't necessarily think bomb and gouge with Yuka Sasa. You do think of it when you think of Lexi Thompson. Um, But that was definitely a huge factor is where these golfers were missing the fairway when they did miss and then whether it was recoverable from there because the rough was such a storyline going into it. I think they hit a pretty good balance to where uh, you could play some some of the shots from the rough, and then others, they really just had to hack it out of there. Um, yeah. 
I like your point about 1617 because totally such a contrast in styles. The 560, completely unreachable par five, followed by 441. I think that, you know, when the USGA does things well in course setup, it's because they give you a variety of looks. Um, yeah, the Olympic like, what's Club. The, what's, the, what's the total ex- expected par on those two holes? Like nine and a half, maybe 9.7. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the idea. Like, yeah, sure. You can make two pars and be happy with it. But if you make nine strokes, you should be really happy. And if you make eight, like she did, you're really gaining on the field. Yeah. I mean, 16 and 17 both played over par, but I think if you look at those, you know, top players, if you look at the contenders, then you definitely saw a lot of birdies on, on those holes, especially on 17, um, on Sunday playing a little bit shorter. So, I mean, it's funny that it's such an interesting way to finish your round par five par five par four um and i keep thinking that you know when whenever you see a a player with a four or five shot lead on sunday you kind of are subconsciously rooting for things to get a little bit closer to tighten up just to get exciting um but in my mind at least and i have no stats to back this up which is always a good way to start Um, but in my mind, those leads tend to shrink by a couple and at some point get interesting and exciting. Like we saw with Phil at the PGA, but then whatever player is in the lead kind of writes the ship steadies out and holds onto the lead. And I kept expecting that from Lexi. I thought she was going to birdie the 17th hole. It's a pretty short par five for her. You know, it it played as Mm -hmm. much as 500 yards throughout the week, but 440 today and then it was a microcosm of her entire collapse it was just a little bit of everything was off she hit her tee shot in the rough she had to hack it out um down the fairway and then she said she hit her approach just how she wanted but it you know caught a little bit of extra wind or or she was a little tight because of the nerves or something and it came up well short she still ended up with whatever it was a six footer for par and that just never even had a chance, Sean. It never had a chance. No. Those putts on no. 17 and 18 will haunt your dreams. Short and begging to even get yeah. close to the hole. I mean, like in terms of the the radius that the ball never crossed, like the circle that the ball never gets into, basically. Like if you if you hit a putt that that grazes the edge of the hole, you've basically made the putt. You can't, the only thing you can do is get closer and it drops in. Uh, the radius for her putts were like, the ball was never inside of like four inches. It was never inside of, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was inside of six inches on either of those putts. So totally. you're not even getting close in either, in, at any sense. The ball isn't even trying to come in the back door. And my gosh, they felt yippy. They looked a little yippy. Brandel said that she was, I mean, he got a bit crazy with it, but I think he was probably one of the few broadcasters to kind of hold Lexi's feet to the fire a little bit and say it was, it was nerves. It was really, really nervous golf from her down the back nine. And it sucks. Like it sucks to watch this happen to her again, right? She, she's playing in her 15th women's U S open. That's, insanity (laughs) she's 26 years old uh and she has had heartbreak in majors before and she's had heartbreak in majors recently and 
she has not really triumphed elsewhere. It's been 30 plus months since she's won on the LPJ tour. She's plenty good that she has not dropped out of the world top 15 or anything like that. She's still one of the best female golfers in the world. But what do we count in golf? We count victories. We count majors. We count in integers. We don't really count in scoring average. No one really gives a damn about that. We count in like tallies. <laughs> How many tallies is she rocking up? And she's not tallying that much, man. She's no. she's got one one major. I feel bad. She's still very young. I'll be damned if she doesn't win another major in her life. Yeah. And honestly, multiple, I would expect if we're being real. That's how talented she is. But holy cow, this one is as as close as you can have being having a five shot lead to making the turn and and it's gone. It literally is. I mean, I can't imagine being any closer than this. What did I think that Brandel said? She suddenly looks like she has a rattlesnake in her pocket <laughs> when she's putting. It's like a pretty classic Brandel line. Yeah, yeah. Here's well, what that's he just said. like a when you watch her on the green, she always things. looks like she has a rattlesnake in her pocket. That's tough to overcome. Well, I don't even know exactly what that means, but I think I think that that's what happens, and it happens to me when the red light comes on, and you have a couple different things you want to say, and you end up saying both of them like half, halfway mm-hmm. there. Like the idea is like when you're kind of yippy with the stroke, you, you feel like you're holding onto a rattlesnake between your mm. hands, not not one in your pocket. Yep. <laughs> like the putter, the putter feels like a rattlesnake where it's kind of loose and limber, and it might bite you. Not that it's in your pocket. <laughs> like if the rattlesnake's in my pocket, I'm zipping my pants off as quickly as possible. Yeah, I don't think it would. I actually don't think it would necessarily. Well, it would affect your stroke. I guess your your body would get a little jumpy, but your hands would not necessarily get jumpy. I don't know. Anyway, not worried about Brandel's mixed metaphors. I am here for them and I appreciate them. I think. What's the big takeaway here? I mean, look, we've seen this with Jordan Spieth this year. When people haven't contended for a little while, when they haven't contended in front of fans in a little while, there is an adjustment period there. Um, So obviously, there's no way to make this into a uh, positive experience. But are you more encouraged or discouraged about Lexi's future after this week? Oh, (laughs) I'm not. I'm not encouraged about her ability to close. That's for damn sure. I'm in, I'm encouraged yeah. by how she played. And my gosh, that round on Saturday was special. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I kind of wrote down is just like when you watch people win tournaments, they can show you like a lot of emotion or they can show you no emotion. Phil at Kiowa Island was so laser focused and didn't let out any emotion really until he landed in California and got off the plane or when he was tweeting from the sky. Tiger winning the Masters in 2019, he pretty much showed no emotion during the tournament and then let it all out there on the 18th green. Lexi was showing all the emotions that she had. She was laughing with her caddy. She was laughing with her caddy on the the 16th hole when her approach came up short. She's like, gosh, I look like an idiot. I was posing over it. Ha ha ha. And yeah, it was kind of like, oh wow, she's still staying loose. Like that feels good. She was talking all week about her happiness and how being around the fans is one of the reasons that makes golf a happy experience for her. So like we were getting all these emotions from her and she was winning. And I was like, she looks so comfortable. She looks like she's in a great place. 
and literally fast forward a little bit and she's breaking down in the press room and um, being pulled off the the press conference stage by her agent um, and then going back out and signing autographs for fans. And so, my gosh, the takeaway is just that this is a roller coaster for Lexi Thompson, just like her last major that she blew was a roller coaster. And just like the last major that she blew before that, like it's hard to take this as a hugely positive experience. I think in time, I'm sure she will, but I bet she wants to play a golf tournament tomorrow. Yeah. I bet she wants to get on the horse immediately and say, I, I was up on the top of the leaderboard for a reason. Give me another chance. It's funny. It's so easy when someone is doing well or someone is leading the golf tournament to take their word as gospel or take their approach yeah. as being the perfect yes. one. And I think, that's exactly what we did um, through three rounds, especially after she played like maybe the the round of the year on the LPGA Tour on Saturday. Um, yeah. But she was talking after that round about how she's just you know focused on staying happy, on gratitude, on taking you know every trip to the course as a blessing, all this stuff and. You definitely could see that on Sunday. She was still trying to do that. It definitely looked more forced, obviously, because anytime you're forcing positivity during a bad round of golf, you know, it, it takes more effort than when you're just making a bunch of birdies. So she was making bogeys and then smiling. I mean, even after, you know, missing short putts, she was she was smiling or shorting iron shots and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I don't know no, if that, that felt forced in a bad way. It did feel forced. And it's one of those things where I don't know if you can just force yourself into a positive attitude. And if that is then, you know, ends up being a good thing, but it definitely did feel forced and it just felt difficult. And I, I mean, I don't, yeah, again, I don't have an answer there because what are you, are you supposed to just be mopey after you make a bogey? That doesn't seem particularly helpful either. Yeah, but it it's just crazy though. Because like, yeah, it did, and that's why this damn game and tournament golf is so mind-numbing. Because through seventy holes of the event, she was the clear best player leader, and through fifty-four holes, she was the clear best, and I think even through like fifty-three or fifty-two holes, she was the best. Like she was the best player for a very large stretch of the end of this golf tournament, but she was not the best player through 71 holes or through Mm -hmm. 72. And that's where it breaks you down because it is just these majors take a lot out of people. People lose massive amounts of weight during it. There's, there's a lot of brain activity that is unnecessary and, and also very necessary. And so for someone like her, who this has happened to multiple times now, it must be hard to maintain confidence. Like that's kind of my bottom line. I hope I really, really hope she can she can bounce back. I think she will. We might just have to wait a bit a little bit longer. Um, let's move on. Just a little bit more uh, talk about the women's event. Uh, Mega Gane, like how, like she was a ridiculous story. The probably also for about sixty. 63 holes of this maybe not 63 she really struggled on the front nine today but for at least through 54 holes of this event gets herself into the final grouping as an amateur she's grinning ear to ear she's the one who's 
probably going to have the greatest takeaway of everyone minus Yuka Sasso. Uh, yeah, you had to appreciate her this week. She essentially said after her tournament, even after – wait, what did she end up shooting on Sunday? She, she was way over par in the, on, the, uh, on the front nine. But she finished. She fist-pumped her par putt on the 18th hole, which was awesome. She secured low amateur honors with that. Um, and she basically said afterwards that there were zero negatives from the week. She said, I'll be back. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. It was just an epic attitude showing all week I mean, she was so a tour de force on the, on on the the biggest stage of the women's game so like it's like what what's not to love here she's 17 she's really fun she loves the crowd she i mean i guess she would be a good example of someone who showed her genuine emotions she was obviously a little rattled a little bit down um early on sunday but then once good things started happening, she was in a place where she could really appreciate those. So I guess that it's the joy of, you know, no expectations of everything's gravy of being a 17 year old amateur. Um, but she really relished it and took full advantage. I really liked that. <laughs> yeah. She'll probably be one of the favorites at the U S amateur later this year. She'll be probably the favorite. Gosh, She's playing in the U.S. Junior Amateur this year. That's how young she still is. Uh, she was just a lot of fun. The kind of story that you're like, oh, that was cute through 18 holes. She held a share of the lead. And then, oh, wow, she's done it again. Another really solid 18-hole stretch. She's, you know, in some of the later pairings on the weekend. I mean, just a ridiculous amount of experience that she gained this week just being in the final pairing, final grouping, you know, on Sunday, I think – I think she was in the final pairing on Saturday. Like all of that adds up to mm -hmm. something that she'll hold on to forever. Um, today, super late, after the first two holes of the playoff, you know, the USGA has now instituted with its U.S. Opens a two-hole playoff for its championships. And so we had uh, Nasa, Hatoka, and Yukasaso play the first two holes and tie. So they move on from that point to a third hole. And NBC said, we're moving on to gymnastics. <laughs> yes. And not, 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 not totally literally, somewhat literally, um, they did move on to bring gymnastics onto the network uh, channel. And they moved golf to the golf channel, which is a very convenient thing. Um, I would argue that they have an Olympics channel for that reason, too. And if we're finishing an event, uh, probably finish the event with the biggest audience that you can have, excuse me, and uh, just make sure that, you know, hey, yeah, this, this playoff might take an hour, but then it's just going to get more and more exciting. So maybe we don't, maybe we, I mean, gosh, knowing Rich Lerner a little bit, that had to hurt him in his gut to have to make that sign off like. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's That'll thing. do you it for us. These guys are so aware of the feedback that they're going to get. Um it's funny, there's the flip side of this, which is that gymnastics Twitter, I saw some some screenshots of a little leak into that world, was pissed that golf was still being shown in their window. So there's always a flip side to this. But my gosh, man, what a tough look. What a tough scene to A, set this women's event on the West Coast, which could be in prime time on Sunday. Instead, set it directly against the men's event, the big memorial PGA Tour event 
I mean, the final round groupings were five minutes apart, the, the final <laughs> pairs of each one. So already that was a miss. Already that was a chance, you know, kind of spoiled to put the women um, at, at least in two or three hours of their own space on prime time. And then, yeah, look, I'll, I'll walk you through my experience. I was the test case here. I'm in, I'm in my hotel room in Traverse City. I got here this afternoon. I was delighted to turn on uh, the the women's golf on my TV here. We do have NBC. We do not have Golf Channel in this oh hotel, so I gosh. was fumbling around with the remote trying to get there. Luckily, I am a, in a fortunate position to have YouTube TV, so I pulled it up on my computer. I was able to salvage the playoff, but you know, definitely missed a, a couple shots there. And I, I was yeah, you seeing, probably you know, missed um, both there's their plenty of people shots. that just don't have golf channel that do have NBC that would love to have. Then there's other people that DVR'd the NBC deal and you know missed the playoff. It's a mess and it's just too bad because all they really needed was what 10, 15 more minutes. Yeah. Now I don't want to be dismissive of what I have come to believe is a very difficult thing to manage. Weather-induced outdoor sports schedule changes. <laughs> and so Yes. And playoffs are tricky. Yes. That's not said. I I don't want to point fingers here. It's just it's it's a bummer and it's a miss they, and yeah. I you know, I don't know about whose fault it is, but it stinks. And they're not doing it in two weeks at Torrey Pines. Mm-hmm. You can guarantee you that. Yeah. I know. I know that if it was up to some executive, if it's up to someone or some group of people and they're sitting on a playoff at Torrey Pines, they are not changing away from the men's U.S. Open to go to gymnastics or any other niche sport or any other sport. In they, They're not switching over the, to the freaking Super Bowl right now. There's a playoff yeah. at Torrey Pines at the U.S. Open. Uh, but they did for women's golf. And I really hope that it doesn't get lost here. And I hope that people remember that this happened. I would love, I know this is probably plausible. I would love to know the instant that the instant that Rich Lerner uh, made that call on the broadcast, it's not his, it's his, it's his words. It's not necessarily his decision, but makes the call. Um, I want to know what the TV viewing was at that exact instant. And then 30 seconds later, how many people are able to be watching on golf channel? Mm. Uh, I, I just want to know it's it a has giant to, drop yeah it has to be and uh, again this I don't want to be dismissive of what is a, a tricky thing but it's horrible it really is it's really <laughs> bad um, and and so I hope that someone I hope that important people have major takeaways on that front um, my last thing about women's golf gosh I have a lot of takes on women's golf, which is great. I love that. Uh, I think I'll grow up, maybe if I have the time tomorrow, I probably won't, muster up the courage to write a column uh, maybe later this week about how we need to bring all women's major events to host courses that have hosted men's major events, and in particular, mm. the men's hosts that we have revered. Um Throughout history, Pinehurst, Oakmont, Olympic Club, Pebble Beach. Um, Olympic hosted its first women's U.S. Open this week. And 
it was so good. It is it is one of the courses in the world that you have to be so accurate off the tee. And so that is exactly what women are compared to men when it comes to golf. They are more mm-hmm. accurate. I cannot ima- I cannot draw up a better major host for women, even compared to men. Like it's even better to watch women play there than it is to watch men play there. So like uh, Morgan Pressel said it late in the broadcast as one of her takeaways. I know uh, n- numerous of the best like Hall of Fame, best golfers, best women golfers have always said this. Like, look, we want to play these courses too. That's mm-hmm. why that's why the women's uh, the Augusta women's Augusta National Women's Amateur is so important. It's because it gives an opportunity for women to play Augusta National in competition. This revered course that we have so much love to. It's why Muirfield hosting the Women's British Open in a couple of years is a pretty freaking big deal because they didn't allow women members as of a few years ago. And so that's why Pebble Beach hosting its first Women's U.S. Open in two years, 2023, that's a huge deal. We get to see women take on these shots that we've seen men take on, see women hit a different club than a pitching wedge into the seventh at Pebble Beach, see them, see the USGA try and figure out, okay, where are we going to put the tees on eight so that women hit certain shots into that really, really tricky par four. They want to play these historic golf courses. We need to give them that. We like it, There is no excuse why it hasn't happened, but I'm, I'm glad that it's starting to happen and it needs to happen a lot more and it needs to happen now. Yeah. End of, I mean, end totally, of totally on board. I, we saw it when the, the women went to Aronimink. Um, just in general, you know, irrespective of, of male or female golfers, we have fun watching golf on familiar courses. Um, yes. It's one of the reasons that people like to watch the Masters every year, yes. regardless of whether Tiger Woods is playing or not. Um, and so bringing more women's golf tournaments to iconic venues makes a ton of sense. You know, those iconic venues are traditionally where men's events have been held because traditionally men's events are the ones that, we, uh, you know, golfers and golf fans have paid proportionally more attention to. So one of the ways to bring the women's game along and to say, Hey, look how cool this is. Um, look how good a product this can be is by giving them the same championship treatment, bringing them to the best golf courses. I mean, look, we, there's an opportunity also when you look at the ANA inspiration for the women's game to create its own yeah. traditions and go back mm. to the same course every year you know, bounce it off the blue wall every year. That's that's kind of a fun little thing. But uh, we already have this built-in familiarity with a lot of the world's great golf courses. And I think not using that is a miss. So, of course, you're completely correct. Going to Pinehurst was great. Going to Olympic was great. Going to Pebble Beach will be great. Um, oh, it's going to be so And it so seems good. like there's more I'm, in the pipeline I'm so here. Hyped. I'm so hyped for that Pebble Beach Women's Open. Uh, Pinehurst is going to host a bunch of U.S. Opens, men and women, so that'll be really good. But, like, Dylan, have you ever played Pine Needles? I've never played Pine Needles. Do you know any of the holes at Pine Needles? Um, no. Mm, no. Candidly, I do not. No, they've never hosted a men's U.S. Open there. But they have hosted women's U.S. Opens, important ones, too. 
like memorable ones. That's why they're going there next year. The Pine Needles has been a very important women's U.S. Open host, but it hasn't gotten the limelight that it uh, that Fox like it wasn't there when Fox was was broadcasting endless coverage of it. Um, it will really have its first time in in the, sh- uh, the sunlight really next year. Um, and I hope a lot of people pay attention to it, but because we don't know it that well, you know, people might not look forward to it as, as quite as well. And that's just kind of, I guess, further context and reiteration of your point. It's like, we love watching people hit shots that we know. <laughs> yeah. And there's not a ton of, there's not so many golf courses that fit that category. There's, you know, there is Augusta, there's Pebble Beach, there's St. Andrews, there's you know, a handful of others. TPC Sawgrass, that'd be a great venue to, to send the uh, the women to for some sort it of be. Florida major. Yeah, um, it totally would be. One last Let's thought move. for me on the uh, on this leaderboard, Sean, is there were yep. some golfers that played well that never really felt like they got into contention, but still, you know, it's one of those, it's, it's a Wikipedia uh, yep. finish. Brooke Henderson finished T7. Aria Jatanagarn finished T7. NB Park, of course, snuck out another top 10. So did Jin Young Ko. Um, Amy Olsen is looking like she's maybe just going to be a, a U.S. Open contender every time around now. So pretty encouraging spot for the the women's game as a whole in terms of, you know, likable, familiar faces playing well. Obviously, the, yeah. the marketing and the pre-tournament hype is always going to focus on the Corda sisters and neither of them <laughs> we need- really showed beyond Jess Corda playing really well in the, the opening nine. Um, so that was a bummer, but in all, if we're talking about the U S open as a measuring stick for like the health of the women's game, I'd say the state of the union is strong. Yeah. Well, you and I even need to do a better job at just answering tour confidential when it comes to hey what do you what's the storyline you're looking at with this week with the women's u.s open we need to not answer the quarter sisters we got to dig deeper everyone needs to dig deeper um even if they're probably two people we expect to play well um let's move on to the men's game uh the memorial tournament i think is the first tournament with a legitimate asterisk uh i'm sure that there are others with a, a decent case from various rulings, uh, but I cannot think of an event with a bigger asterisk than the 54-hole leader withdrawing with a six-shot lead, fully, seemingly fully healthy, asymptomatic at least with COVID-19. Uh, John Rahm had to withdraw. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know that story somewhat, uh, I learned basically from getting involved on Twitter that not a lot of people really understand everything you need to understand about vaccines and COVID and all that jazz. And I'll leave that at that. But Dylan, I, I, I cannot imagine that it took us 35 minutes to get to this. It did because we had a lot of fun in the women's open. But holy cow, what an absolutely ridiculous weekend for the men's game. So ridiculous and and just bad. It's funny. I was at a wedding yesterday, so I was I was kind of out of pocket when this was happening and was just you know kind of generally aware of what was going on. But I, I remember checking my phone and was just I just got this sour feeling. Like what a bummer. What a no win situation. Everybody lost. 
um, from this happening. John Rahm obviously well, lost. Patrick Cantlay he, did not lose. Well, no, that's a, that's a fair point, actually. Patrick Cantlay, shout out to you. We'll get to you in a minute. But yeah. John Rahm, obviously the clear loser, you know, loses a, a back-to-back memorial tournament victory, most likely if he can shoot whatever, 76 on Sunday. Yeah. Um, he loses $1.6 million. The PGA Tour loses because look, this is just not good attention. And, and the tournament itself loses because the guy that played the best golf didn't even play on Sunday. Um, so that's pretty weird. The fans lose for the same reason. The online discourse around this absolutely <laughs> sucks. So I think we all lose based off of that. Um, Colin Morikawa actually, I thought, spoke pretty well about it because he said, look, we all knew the risks of getting a vaccine versus not getting a vaccine. And this is essentially what you're risking by not getting it. Rom didn't get the vaccine until, you know, the word is kind of he got one shot earlier this week. That's what happens. I mean, you're taking a, a risk in terms of public health. There's a whole discussion to have on that front. But even if you ignore the you know morality of the vaccines in general, efficacy, etc., this was a risk that John Rahm took, and he really, really paid dearly for it. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of. Oh gosh, conflicting discourse. And you said online, it really sucks. But like, is Rom anti-vax? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, clearly yeah. not. He got no. he got one shot earlier in this week. He he did notably get the shot after being exposed to someone recently. And you know, he arrived on site this week knowing he had been around someone who had tested positive. And so was the vaccination move by him a response to that? Uh, I, I can't be positive. I also can be somewhat sure, you know, the correlation. It seems, sounds logical. Seems... <laughs> it would be a logical sequence of events. Yeah. Um, John Rahm, it is his body and his choice, and, and it is not uh, a guarantee that he needed to get the vaccine to live a healthy life. Um, I, I know he had at least six, probably seven, maybe eight full weeks where he could have been vaccinated to this point, just kind of based off when vaccination became fully available to him. Um, and he chose not to. And so, yeah, man, that's tough. Like you said, I think you, I, I can't even really add to all the things that you did. CDC looks bad because it puts the PGA tour in a tough place, <laughs> right? Like there it's yeah. like, Oh wait, the, you know, why couldn't this guy just play by himself on Sunday is something that a lot of people are saying. Um, why did the NBC or not NBC or, you know, it wasn't NBC. Why did uh, yeah. tour officials have to tell him right when he got off the 18th green? Well, you know, what if he goes into scoring and then he puts the score, the person in scoring in jeopardy? Yeah. What if, what if he, you know, stops by and, and, and talks to some children on his way to the scoring and, or high fives people like all this stuff. This is why you have all to right, tell so wait, the 18th Yeah. Grade. Let's just dive into that for a second, Joe, just really quickly. Like, do you think that given the circumstances, I saw a lot of people talking about this. Do you think given the circumstances, the PGA tour should have tried to make some sort of exception? Because, um, 
to me, that seemed like the sort of thing that, yeah, if you don't really think hard about it, seems like it makes sense. But then once you start to think about what that means, it just gets thorny and it gets tricky and it kind of yeah. breaks down. But I don't know. In your mind, no, it, why not send him out as a single? Um, I think because the PGA Tour and this crazy game work off precedence. Probably more than any other game in the world works off of precedence. When we make precedence with the rules, we make precedence with tournaments, there's local rules. We have to follow by these precedents. There's almost no flexibility everywhere for anything like this. And so when the PGA Tour wrote down in its you know initial bylaws when it comes to COVID, if you test positive during an event, we confirm that test, you have to withdraw. You're out. You're done. Like if you test positive and um, we go through, you, know, you can still, you can test positive um, or, you know, you can be uh, exposed and you can stay on site and then we'll go through the confirmation of all this stuff. Then like, you know, you can handle it. But this was after two positive tests and COVID mm-hmm. look, man, I know things are different in June of 21 than they were of 2020, but it's not something to screw around with. Yeah. It's not. He's got freaking COVID. He's got it. He's got the disease. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. A, you can't really set the precedent of, yeah, every time someone gets it, you just send them out by themselves. It's not like he might have it or might not have it. To your point, he tested positive. They confirmed the sample. He has it. He didn't get vaccinated. I mean, this is what happens. It sucks. It's, it's not fair. (laughs) You can feel bad for him. Although I would point out sure. that John Rahm is not asking for anyone to feel bad for him. He didn't no. say, oh, this is stupid. He has not come out and complained about any bit of it. I think that he is probably really sad and really bummed. He's probably really you know, upset that he has to stay away from his family for another you know, 10 plus days. He's probably sad he doesn't get to prep for the U.S. Open properly. Um we certainly wish him the best. You know, this is not a yes. referendum on John Rahm as a bad guy. This is just a bad situation. And I think in general, everyone did the best they could here. Holy cow, though. <laughs> that Saturday third round. Like. Unbelievable. Are you, are you kidding me? 64 with six birdies, 30 on the back nine. Between oh, Lexi feel- and John Rom, we saw a couple of the rounds of the year on Saturday. Yeah, man. On Saturday, he was sixth in strokes gained off the tee, first in strokes gained approaching the green, 25th in strokes gained around the green. He only had to scramble four times, and he did it three times. And then fourth in strokes gained putting. He gained 9.4 strokes on the field Saturday. Lexi gained nine strokes on the field on her own Saturday. Yeah. Two ridiculous rounds, both of which kind of don't freaking matter right now. Sheesh. That's both crazy to don't. think about. Both don't. I mean, obviously what happened with Rom, judging from the, the shape of our discussion here, overshadowed just about everything, big picture. Um, but we should give a, a, a thought for our man Patrick Cantlay, the memorial <laughs> killer. John Rahm and Patrick Cantlay and Colin Morikawa, those guys know how to play this golf course. My goodness. I know, which I think is both cool and bad because 
bad. Kind of cool. Well, bad because I don't really like the idea of, I don't really like horses for courses. Oh, I love it. <laughs> like I, I want love courses. Me a horses for courses. <laughs> yeah. I, I, maybe I should come around. I don't to think take. you mean this. I don't think you mean your take that you kind of <laughs> spit out there half heartedly. Yeah. I don't know. I do, some, some part of me doesn't love that, uh, the same people tend to do well at Augusta National and how Bubba Watson can kind of play well because he hits this big sweeping right to left move uh, and he kind of bombs into the trees. But anyway, that again, clearly I don't believe in this take all that much. Um, it's cool in that Jack has created this course that premium, premium, premium ball striking is a necessity. The best ball strikers in the world win here. Tiger, Rom is one of the best. He he will. Rom will probably go down as one of the best ball strikers, uh, at least of his generation. Cantlay is that's that's the crutch he leans on is just being ridiculous with his irons. And then Morikawa is somehow the third person mentioned here. Is truly will will probably go down as a top five iron player of all time if he maintains this throughout the rest of his career. And so that's what Jack has created at Mirfield which is probably the most respected part of the game, right? Like if you're a great irons player, I think so. You're going to be a great tour player. Um, just because you can hammer the ball off the tee doesn't always imply that, but the most respected facet of the elite tournament game is the irons game. And so yeah. in that well, sense, because it's the most Jack's enduring a good thing. And yeah, I think that that's why I don't really believe your take here. It's one thing to say <laughs> Sheesh, Matt Every he plays well at Bay Hill every year, huh? Like that. I don't know what that says. Pretty about incredible, Bay Hill. actually. But in this case, when you're like, oh man, the the best the best people at hitting the golf ball every year keep playing well at this course, that actually seems like probably a good thing. There, I mean, it's not bad that Tiger Woods won a pant load of times here, and that now the guys that are contending are the flushers. Your favorite mm. ball strikers, favorite ball strikers. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, I think it's a good thing. I think Patrick Cantley, it'd be nice for him to keep showing up a few other places too, because he seems like he should be doing this more often. Um, yeah. But maybe this is the start. I don't know, man. I don't, I think he, I think he kind of comes and goes in waves. Um, yeah. Gosh, is he going to be on the Ryder Cup team? Oh, yeah. Talk about someone you have a hard time getting excited about. He's going to be partners yeah. with Xander Shoffley. Ah, uh, that's true. And they'll probably be great. Maybe yeah. Cantlay will come out of his skin that week. I hope so. Then again. It is shaping up to be an not. intriguing Ryder Cup <laughs> picking season. Um, oh, I get in, I get in, I actually get in pain when we discuss the Ryder Cup. Yeah. All right. Well, we can we can punt that to next week. No, it's no, we can. We can talk about it now. Okay. It's, it's proper to talk about it now because you look at the American team. You yeah. Dustin can I just Johnson. can I just give you names and tell and ask you yes. in or out? Yeah. Sure. All right. Dustin Johnson. He's in, but I don't okay. feel good about him at all. Bryson DeChambeau. He's in, but I don't feel very good about him. Justin Thomas. He's in and he might and he's probably who I feel second best about. Ooh. Colin Morikawa. 
definitely in. Uh, he might be amazing in the Ryder Cup. We'll see. Brooks Kepka. Yeah, he's definitely in, and he concerns me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's injury concerns. There's some team chemistry <laughs> concerns there. Yep, uh, yep. Xander Shoffley. Definitely in, and I feel okay about him. Okay. Uh, there's not a ton of enthusiasm so far, and those are the top six ranked Americans, so let's just keep rolling. Patrick Reed. I think he's I think he's definitely on the team. <laughs> and I, yeah. And I, you know what? Call me crazy. I feel good about it. <laughs> yeah. All right. He's having hey, a like great a year. Chaos. Like he he's playing really really great golf. Uh, when Rom was was uh, withdrawn, he actually kind of worked his way up the leaderboard. So Patrick Reed is a damn good golfer. He could be the third most controversial golfer on this team, which in a Ryder Cup is insane to suggest Dude, all right number maybe eight. Even more, maybe maybe fourth if you've put phil on this team uh oh, Jesus. Number, you can't who, put phil eight? on this team number eight patrick cantlay he's gonna be on the squad agree or disagree no i think you're right i think um i think he'll get paired with xander exactly like you said they've played uh i think they played on the president's cup team together i think they're a good pair i mean that's kind of it though yeah all right, so I mean, I think there's a good chance actually that the top twelve in the in order are the Ryder Cup team. So let's just buzz through. I'll buzz through nine through twelve here. Tony Finau, Jordan Spieth, Daniel Berger, Webb Simpson are all four of those guys on the Ryder Cup team. Spieth definitely is. He's the For best sure. American. I, I feel he's the American. I feel the best about. I think Finau hasn't been playing that great of golf lately. And mm-hmm. I, I think he could play himself off the team. He's currently in. Count, count me in. But he could play his way off the team. I love Webb Simpson, what he's done in this later stage of his career. But he hasn't <laughs> played that. He has not played that well lately. He could play his way off the team. I actually feel best about Daniel Berger. Um, I think he's kind of cutthroat. I think he. I think he. He kind of stormed on Spieth at Pebble earlier this year. I think that showed a little bit of what he has for playing clutch golf. Um, so I'd count him in. And then, yeah, it starts getting weird, man, because Will Zalatoris deserves to be it on this just team. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't leave you much room for error. Let me. I'll just buzz through 13 through 20 here. You've got Billy Horschel, Scotty Scheffler, Jason Kokrak, Harris English, Phil Mickelson, Max Homa, Sam Burns, Will Zalatoris. So that gets you to yeah. 20. Yeah. So if Sam Burns can come back from this injury and play really good golf in uh, August, he can play good golf in July. I think Steve Stricker will give him a nod. He was playing so good before the injury. And if he can prove that he's back to that, book it. Um, I know that might come as a surprise. And then, like, if Zalatoris stays hot, he'll have had 18 months of hot golf. Mm-hmm. That's better than anyone in the world. So I guess what it comes down to is these guys are still going to have a chance to work their way up further, and most likely the system is going to work. I, don't, I mean, you know, well, for better or worse, of course, if the guys man, you in have position six, keep playing well, they're going to stay in there. And if yeah, and you have six captains picks, yeah, so it it can't fail really. Like, well, it's just funny because every time we go through this, then we'll have a moment of saying, you know. 
Next time we gotta pick a guy like Kevin Kisner. We gotta just make sure we've got like <laughs> yeah. Kevin Kisner on the team and Kevin Nah. They're gonna be so good. And now you look it's at like, it, and you're like, there, no, there's just no way. It's just not gonna happen. Well, there's, yeah. <laughs> uh, the the rebuttal to that is like, hey, Kevin Kisner and Kevin Nah, why don't you play better? Yeah. Like, why don't you make us feel a little bit better about picking you? Yeah. Keegan Bradley <laughs> sitting in the 31 hole. Stop. He just needs to make a little bit more noise. He needs to make a lot more putts. That's what he has to do. <laughs> oh, come on, Keegs. Uh, uh, man, I basically had a hard time with a lot of those people that you discussed above because Dustin Johnson's not playing good golf. Justin Thomas hasn't hit a good putt <laughs> in, in a while. Brooks Kepka mm. is tormenting uh, one of the other guaranteed players on this team in a way that seems to be a game to him, and it doesn't feel as much like a game to Bryson. Um, Phil Mickelson has won the most recent major championship. It's a fact that I would like to ignore, but we simply cannot ignore facts like that. Uh, Jordan Spieth, like I said, the best golfer probably on the planet in 2021. Um, Yeah, he's the person you feel most comfortable with. Patrick Reed is probably one of the top 10 golfers on the planet this year, maybe one of the top six. So feel pretty good about him. Uh, and then it starts getting weird. And you want to know why this whole thing is weird is because we have too many options. Mm-hmm. We have 20 guys that could, that are viable. The European all viable, team, all flawed. The, yeah. And the European team really has like 13, maybe yeah. even less. Like how many players, how many European players could make it on the American team? I mean, like it just five. depends if you're a big like Mike Lorenzo Vera <laughs> fan and you're gonna <laughs> talk your way into him. No, I don't even think that matters. My point you know is, who's in the, you know, let me let me give you a, a name that's on the European team right now by points. <laughs> Guido Migliozzi. <laughs> that Wait, sounds he like. Ranked? Well, how is he ranked? He's number ten on the uh, on the European points list right now. Well, you don't get top ten European points. It's there's a bunch of captains picks on that team too. Oh, he wouldn't. I'm just saying, pure chalk right now. He would be on the team. Oh, obviously <laughs> yeah. they they're gonna pick Lee Westwood, Justin Rose, and Shane Lowry over him. Yeah, but yeah. the way I couldn't things tell you are if that dude right is now. 24 or 44, which I kind of love about European tour golfers. Uh, but my point, Dylan, is that. If you have to fill 12 spots and you really only have like 13 people you feel confident about, that becomes a lot easier to do. But if you have to fill 12 spots with 20 people, you can't fit all the people on the same bus, man. Not everyone gets to go on the field trip. Yeah. And it's going to make Steve Stricker feel pretty bad. And uh, he, I like to hope he's a dude that's cut out for the job, but Phil Mickelson did not make his job easier. So it's going to get weird. That's the bottom line. Someone's going to play some great golf in August during the FedEx Cup when we all are supposed to care. And uh, yeah, it'll get, it's just going to get fun. So and it's, it's good barely, that it, yeah, it's, it's good June. that it's going to get weird. It can be agonizing to think through because, you know, putting yourself in those captain's shoes is tricky. And also because ultimately it's such a roll of the dice. You know, how are guys going to play in match play over the course of three days? And how are you supposed to predict that? On a course that like tricky. On a course that they never go to. Yeah. So, I mean, partly you're just, you're partly you're selecting the guys that deserve it the most. To some extent, that is what you're doing. And I'm okay with that. 
by the time the Ryder Cup is played, you'll have had one men's event there in the last decade. And it's not like, I don't, geez, I don't even think, I think Justin Thomas might have been there, but like Xander wasn't there. Spieth was there. Spieth played really well. DJ was there. He's played a couple of times. Brooks, I don't think Justin Thomas was there. Now that I remember, Brooks actually played well there. Bryson was not there. Cantley was not there. Morikawa might have been in high school. I don't know. Like <laughs> that. That's what. Uh, it's not a slam dunk, man. That's the bottom line. Anyone who listens to this podcast should know. We say it all the time. It's not a slam dunk. You might have the better ensemble of golfers, but it is routinely proven that that does not matter in the Ryder Cup, Solheim Cup. So, oh. thank goodness. You got, thank you got anything else to say? It would just be a snooze fest every uh, every year. Um, you know, you, yeah, I've got a couple of things to say, Sean. I am in Traverse City, Michigan. You're going to come meet up with me in uh, Central Michigan tomorrow after a little bit of a drive that's, and after you edit this podcast. That's Northern I joined, Michigan. What's that? That's Northern Michigan, not Central. I said cent- Central. Well, yeah. North Central, whatever. Yeah. Northern Michigan people might think we're talking about the UP. No, I would like that distinction to be made clear. Not enough people realize that the UP is the Upper Peninsula, as in upper extension away from the rest of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Northern Michigan is the little cap on the the mainland of Michigan. Yes. Get it. That right. was talking Midwest. And <laughs> the final thing I'd like to say is that the sun sets very, very late here. For better or worse, I joined like a, a running club with some people from home. And um, this was a really bad idea because some of my friends from high school are just, you know, unreasonably fast. But it was a good idea because like tonight after I finished an article and finished um you know, watching some of the golf, I could still get out and the sun didn't set until 927. So I could yeah. easily run starting at like, yeah, 9 p.m. No problem. That's yeah, I mean, I'm in, I'm in Chicago. I'm probably what this would be, lati- uh, that would be longitude. I'm probably just maybe a couple degrees west of you mm-hmm. and uh, a full hour. Um, talking Midwest very briefly one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Northern Michigan University is the issue here. Yeah. It, it is located. It's located in the UP. Yeah. Which is NMU. Really part of the up. issue here. <laughs> All right. That's good enough. Uh, wait, do you have anything else? I have, I have one thing. Sectional qualifying big Monday tomorrow. The best Monday I think in golf short of, uh, Monday playoffs in important events. Get some sleep. We're going to need it. <laughs> it's a big day. Uh, I'll see you soon. And thanks to all of you for listening. It's been one hour of Sean and Dylan. See you next week. Bye.